This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Let's remind the Jedi what happens when the weak seek to match metal with the Dark Lords of the Sith. Sir, from the surviving officer's reports, Lord Revan has gone down with the ship. He's still alive. Hello, everyone. Is the Old Republic podcast striking out? No, we're striking back and still lovingly plagiarizing the Hero's Journey format. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. We are we are back with another Hero's Journey uh, kind of analysis and perspective on uh, uh, the next installment of Star Wars here as we get into Episode 5, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And did you have any fun background on the film? Like, any cool box office records and awards? Oh, I do, absolutely. So, uh, The Empire Strikes Back, it was released in 1980, directed by Urban Kirshner. It was written by Leah Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan. Um, also, there was a script iteration by George Lucas, but I'm going to get into that a little bit more here in a minute. Uh, Han, Leia, and Luke are all back, but we get introduced to Billy D. Williams playing Lando Calrissian and Frank Oz as Yoda. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back was nominated for three Academy Awards. It won for Best Sound, but it lost Art Direction Set Decoration, uh, which is insane uh just watching it last night and seeing the dagobah set uh you gotta be kidding me um also lost for best score but it did win a special achievement award for visual effects i'm glad that it got a special vfx award but looking at the carbonite like freezing chamber set like Mm -hmm. do you know what Mm -hmm. one best set or is that like a mystery um, it's, uh, it is a mystery at the moment because I did not write it down. I know, I know what ever did win did not deserve it more than. Cause fame won best music and I'm kind of like, oh, okay. We're just gonna ignore Yoda's theme and Han Solo and the princess, you know, for, for fame. That's right. Okay. So, uh, I, I do know what won the, uh, <laughs> the winner for our direction, uh, set decoration. That is the film Tess. Uh, rated PG, apparently. Uh, okay, yeah, there you go. So it must that have been was, really groundbreaking because I've never have, heard of it. So it, it must have been it must have been incredible. Absolutely, uh, no shade to Tess, but uh, sorry, The Empire Strikes Back was slided right there. So that's the awards <laughs> that it's won uh, for sure. So uh, good job, I guess. At least won the one um, and lost the two and got the special achievement there. Um, I mentioned uh, Leah Brackett was hired to write Empire Strikes Back, but unfortunately she passed away in 1978. So she had written uh, kind of the first draft of the story and then. George Lucas kind of took that draft and uh, changed it up just a little bit before ultimately sending it off to Lawrence Kasdan, who did uh, kind of the final draft of the script. Um, Now, I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit because I thought that this was was interesting. Um, So Brackett completed the first draft in February of 1978. Um, So just like literally like just a month before she passed away. And it was titled a Star Wars sequel from the adventures of Luke Skywalker. And the draft contained a city in the clouds, a chase through an asteroid belt, uh, 
kind of this uh, little more focus on the love triangle between Luke, Han, and Leia. Uh, there is a battle of Hoth and a battle between Luke and Darth Vader. Uh, there were ghosts of uh, Luke's father and Obi-Wan, uh, but, that, uh, but his father was a different character, uh, so not Darth Vader there um, in that first draft. Uh, Luke had a sister, but it wasn't Leia. Um, and, you know, Lando was a, a clone that had fought in the Clone Wars. So, uh, some stuff that's crazy and obviously didn't uh, pan out, but some of the stuff was, um, you know, pretty much exactly what we got here, um, in Empire Strikes Back. Um, and I guess Lucas, you know, after she had written the script, you know, attempted to, to contact her to, to go through, you know, kind of some revisions or get her to do a second, uh, draft of that. But unfortunately she'd, uh, passed away on March the 18th of that year. So, uh, that is, uh, that's sad, uh, but it's kind of interesting to see kind of the, the changes that were, that were taken and made and stuff that was left the same kind of from that first draft. Star Wars could have been so different. Like, uh, some people say there was a plan all along and like, I think some steps were a plan and then some things were happy accidents. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the magic of stories is how they change, how they stay the same. They're nebulous, you know, but that's Mm -hmm. interesting. I I really didn't know how much Brackett had done. Yep, and she was a a very well-respected science fiction writer and had done a a bunch of writings. So, um, you know, it it made sense that Lucas would have, you know, reached out to her to do kind of the the script for the second story as he was, you know, taking a step back, right? He didn't didn't, uh, write the story. He didn't uh, direct the story. He really was kind of focusing more on, you know, kind of establishing ILM as kind of its own, like, standalone uh, property almost. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, I kind of think about our episode 183, um, in which we talked about Across the Spider-Verse, you know, with uh, an animator from Sony, and, I mean, they confirmed that we, or they were inspired by Empire Strikes Back, and I remember watching Across the Spider-Verse in theaters and saying, like, this is the best cliffhanger I think I've seen since empire strikes back but i think Mm -hmm. like star wars is one of the most iconic trilogies out there and empire strikes back is one of the best sequels if not the best sequels out there and it inspires uh, it's inspired so much you know like even Mm -hmm. today so yeah for sure um it is very well beloved uh right now empire strikes back is sitting at number 16 on imdb's uh rankings uh let's take that for uh, whatever you think of imdb's rankings there but number 16 that's pretty good um it made around 530 million dollars worldwide uh kind of on the you know over the course of all of its releases but um it's interesting because yeah now we look at empire strikes back it is very beloved um you know it's often you know held up there as you know you know, one of the best sequel uh, films or sequels to a film. Um, and it has a very high, you know, <laughs> you know, rating by everyone that watches it. And if you ask, you know, a dozen people out on the street, what is the uh, quote unquote best Star Wars movie? A lot of them will say that it's Empire Strikes Back, but uh, it's not always been that way. Uh, so way back when Empire Strikes Back uh, came out, it was very divisive. Um, you know, the only difference was there wasn't an internet then. Um, yeah. But yeah, people were critical of all sorts of things. Uh, kind of this uh, love triangle uh, between Luke, Leia, and Han, and, you know, whether it should have uh, been with Han, uh, you know, the 
you know, Darth Vader being uh, Luke's father, um, the critical uh, reviews uh, were kind of all over the place, saying that the story wasn't cohesive because it tried to follow kind of all of these different <laughs> storylines. There was no real MacGuffin. Uh, people complained about Luke didn't really get any actual training from Yoda <laughs> in the story. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so funny! People, uh, people, uh, you know, weren't into the I love you, I know line, which is funny because now you can get I love you, I know, like it's on iconic. your hand towels in your bathroom, because I may or may not have those um, in our own <laughs> bathroom. Um, yeah, so all of this stuff was, you know, overanalyzed, uh, harshly critiqued. Um, and if, you know, this, uh, this argument might sound familiar to you, too, there was a lot of debate. Um, about The Empire Strikes Back on whether George Lucas had too much influence or not enough influence. So, uh, yeah, so basically it sounds like every other Star Wars film that's ever come out, um, it's just uh, whichever one was the last one people are going to uh, be the most critical of. So I'm going to put a, a link to an article that I was reading, um, a criticalhit.com, uh, where I got a lot of these and uh, pulled a lot of quotes and articles from um uh, kind of some fan reactions from some fan magazines uh, back in 1980. But yeah, I thought that that was, that was interesting that, you know, this film now that is held up as, you know, being, you know, quote unquote, the best of these nine films, you know, was, you know, as divisive and <laughs> as pandered as, you know, all of the, all of the new films and all of the way the prequel trilogy was at the time that those came out. And it's just the same old, same old Star Wars story. There's nothing new under the binary suns. Apparently. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. so uh something we've been doing in the background uh is covering the Star Wars heresies for the prequel trilogy and then in the future uh we're going to be covering the story palette book for the structure of Star Wars the original trilogy a scene by scene approach and uh, and that's by Daniel and Blair. And I'm just counting and I think there is one, two, three, four colons in that. Oh, three colons in that title. So, mm. like, it, it's a nice title. Nice and, uh, it's very comprehensive. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be diving into that uh, once we, uh, you know, get through the uh, original trilogy stories here. Um, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun going through the heresies for the prequel trilogy, and it's going to be um, fun to do the story palette here for the, the original trilogy when we get through that. And if you have any other good uh, books that kind of analyze and break down, you know, any of the trilogies or just any of the Star Wars films, definitely pass those our way because uh, we like reading, you know, more like academic focused uh, things about, you know, Star Wars and the films and uh, the production of them, things like that. Yeah, so before we dive into... The hero's journey how does the empire strikes back link to kotor in your mind um so there were a couple of things that i noticed um i was re-watching it last night you know kind of with this in mind um kind of at the beginning of the film you get uh darth vader on his ship uh the executor the executor i don't really know how to pronounce it um the executor i think probably uh is right but the way that it's kind of positioned in that shot it looks an awful lot like the way the leviathan looks um in the game so i thought that that was kind of a little bit of a link there um we get mandalorians right we get uh boba fett here um which is the kind of birth of the mandalorians as a uh you know a group of people and then we get an awful lot of mandalorians uh within knights of the old republic obviously with candorus but the mandalorian wars and all that goes back to this one little tiniest part in a in a film of uh, boba fett there and empire strikes back so i like that um you get a really really kind of neat um parallel here you get uh, the scene of darth vader getting uh, his helmet put on uh, which is a uh, very 
closely mimicked by uh, Darth Malak getting his jaw uh, put on or getting his face fixed or whatever he's doing kind of in that cutscene uh, sort of thing there where he has his uh, jaw off. So I thought that that was a, a nice little uh, parallel, a little nod there to Darth Dental Vader. Dental checkup you know <laughs> that's right he was getting his uh his six month exam making sure he didn't have any cavities uh he was he was good to go he was good to go uh the guy that walked in on him was not uh, very pleased though i don't think <laughs> um now we do get uh in a new hope you get you know like greedo the the bounty hunter there but uh definitely more emphasis here on the bounty hunters um especially kind of on the on that star destroyer there we have them all you know kind of lined up and things and you know bounty hunters are something that's going to play back into maybe Kalo nord would have fit right in uh, with IG-88 and Bosk and Dengar, I don't know for sure. Uh, but then, of course, the, the biggest one is that uh, Yoda is there, basically the, I don't know, the the offspring of Vandar, our beloved Vandar from the Jedi Council. So i uh, got the same species as, as Yoda, and that's coming right here from Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, so uh, my number one, I have six things, uh, one for, for each, you know, uh, Star Wars movie George Lucas was, I guess, involved with. But uh, the first one, it was like, oh, Jedi Princess. Bastila gets called Jedi Princess a lot in -hmm. Knights of the Old Republic. And kind of like Han is always calling, like, uh, Leia, like, your worship, your, like, princess and all that. So I guess I picked up on that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, like... We've kind of talked about, like, Leia's kind of, like, sort of British sometimes. Uh, <laughs> brunette, you know, and... Um, I, don't know. I don't know if she's yeah. ever British in Empire Strikes Back, but... Oh, I was like, yeah, that that was just a, a New Hope oh, thing. Just, like just in general, just in general. She, That's fair. She's a recovering American, I guess, in uh, <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, but, um, yeah. Moving to number two, Luke seeing himself in the cave, like... KOTOR is kind of like the ultimate, like, you're the one behind the mask, uh, because uh, Revan, the the character, is you. You know, mm-hmm. like, all the choices you've made to make your, your character, it's you, and you kind of re- reveal, like, in the cutscene, like, when Revan takes off the mask, it's the character face you've chosen, you know? And... Number three is Leia and Han kissing is a lot like the Revan and Bastila kissing because it kind of takes place like in a more secluded area of the ship they're on like Leia and Han are on the Millennium Falcon and um, Revan and Bastila DTR like define the relationship (laughs) you know like on the Ebon Hawk and even though like the scene goes to black like the writer's like we just didn't have in 2003 the technology to show them kissing so it's it's a kissing um yeah yeah. that's fair because that would have been off-putting had they tried to do it it would have looked are they trying to kill each other it's like no (laughs) um (laughs) yeah and then uh number four is like knights of the old republic is kind of set up like the original trilogy you kind of have like a introduction to the story like hero's journey like kind of like on terrace and um dantwing you know like you kind of learn a bit about the force and then you're kind of given um a mission to do and like on different planets and stuff so 
kind of likes mm-hmm. the the hero's journey, like up through like Dantooine is it kind of mirrors like A New Hope, I would say, um, mm-hmm. and then like you kind of travel on different worlds, kind of like Empire Strikes Back, and then the Leviathan twist, kind of like culminating in like you finding out you're Revan. Uh, definitely mirrors the no I am your father twist in Empire Strikes Back Uh, and then kind of like everything else is kind of like light side or dark side kind of mirrors that uh, Return of the Jedi with -hmm. the final space station battle but we'll get into that don't worry Um, (laughs) and then I kind of saw Bastila sacrificing herself on the Leviathan is kind of like Han is in Carbonite. Like, you don't really see them until, like, later on in the story. So, did you see that mm. parallel? I didn't see that parallel. I do um, kind of kind of get where you're coming at with it. Um, it's the only, the only, I guess, kind of difference is that they break out of the prison, whereas, you know, Han and uh, Leia and Chewbacca were you know, prisoned there, I guess, by, um, by the empire on there. So he didn't really have, you know, kind of an active choice in making that sacrifice. Um, but kind of in the way that he talks to, um, you know, Chewbacca to make sure that, you know, Chewbacca goes on to, you know, watch over, uh, Princess Leia. Um, so kind of the same, uh, same kind of sentiment, I guess, where Han is, you know, verbalizing that, you know, he's going to go do this. Everyone else can, can get away is the same kind of thing, uh, that you get with Bastila, I guess. Yeah. And then the the final kind of similarity I saw, uh, the Revan twist, it fits so well uh, in the story, and I believe it's so well done, like, one of the best twists, like, in Star Wars for sure, and, like, in stories and video games. Um, it was very timely. Uh, I mean, this came out, like, 2003, so... Kind of like The Matrix, Fight Club, Born Identity, um, kind of searching for identity, having amnesia. It kind of fits with that, like, cultural milieu, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I'm just so glad, like, this kind of twist was done here in this way, like, in a video game. So, like, it makes sense because it's like you're creating your own character, you know? Uh, so it's a little bit, like... I think I say meta a lot, but it it's sort of meta. And I'm just so glad it wasn't, like, done in a throwaway novel. Like, maybe people wouldn't have heard or not just, like, done in a three-episode arc in the Clone Wars or something. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Those are the similarities I saw. Yeah, definitely. Those are those are really good ones. I was, you know, going into watching the movie last night, and I knew we kind of had this section that we were going to cover uh, today when we were recording. And I was like, man, you know, kind of off the top of my head, like I don't see a lot, um, you know, because then a lot of the other films, you know, locations are are the same or kind of the, the actions people are taking. But yeah, I think there are definitely you know, kind of some some good similarities and inspirations drawn, uh, you know, by the by the team they're creating Kotor and Kotor two uh, from this Empire Strikes Back film. Yeah, so I think, are we ready to dive into Empire Strikes Back? I am as ready as a probe droid on Hoth, for sure. Yeah, and if you kind of like hear me like shuffling through paper, it's it's because that's how I write my notes, you know, and I'll probably be flipping back a lot, so 
That's right. Maybe uh, some people will listen in headphones and be like, oh no, like I'm hearing notes flipping in 4K, you know, but I'm that's sorry. Right. After, after, uh, after Kasdan finished writing the, the script, Cassie wrote her own script here for Empire Strikes Back. So, so yeah, uh, forgive any, any paper shuffling, but that's okay because there, there's a lot to get into in the Empire Strikes Back, I think. Yeah. So we begin with the title crawl. In episode four, we kind of had a pursued ship, a rebel ship being pursued by a big imperial vessel. Uh, And in three, like Revenge of the Sith, we had all-out naval warfare. And then in five, it's like we had a big, even bigger ship, it seems, like gathering intelligence with thousands of droids. So maybe it's kind of like... this is a big naval ship and it's like all right conduct your intelligence and report back to me you know i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right it's just like a it's just like nowadays right you send drones out into uh to take pictures and video and figure out to uh, get all of your uh intel but yeah the ship is sending out these probe droids all over the galaxy and we follow one down to the icy planet of hoth uh it looks cold um i lived in you know uh western new york for a long time and we got a lot of snow but not as much snow as hoth it looks cold uh but it does have uh my favorite creature in all of star wars which is the tauntaun and we see one um and it looks amazing uh luke's on it and we're gonna go check it out yeah it's funny because you see the droid launch uh down uh from the imperial ship onto hoth and then i think it goes back in time so we see luke see it and I was like, oh, that's interesting, but um, Luke is on, he is with Han conducting a patrol, just making sure, like, uh, everything's okay, because they, like, the rebel base on Hoth, like, said there's a weird, like, uh, thing that came up on our scanners, it's probably nothing, but go check it out, um, and then Luke doesn't come back, and we kind of just see... Han uh, and Chewbacca trying to repair the Millennium Falcon, and uh, Princess Leia's like, Ugh, why is he leaving? I don't want him to leave, but I won't tell him I don't want him to leave, you know? And uh, yeah. Han Solo is like, General, I have to leave because of Jabba. And he's like, Goodbye, Princess. It's awkward. And uh, Leia confronts him in the South Passage. It is, yeah, it is a, a wee bit awkward there, and yeah, uh, she does because uh, uh, they're very much uh, this uh, love to love and love to agitate uh, each other. It very much carries over, kind of from the uh, kind of the Death Star uh, sequence of A New Hope and uh, how their relationship works here. And yeah, she's uh, definitely very annoyed that he's not going to stick around. Um, you know, I think he, the line is something about you know, oh, see. So you you want me to stay? And she's like, well, I think you'd be a great asset to the Rebel Alliance. Um, so I think that that's, that's pretty funny. But yeah, bad news is Luke went to uh, investigate this probe droid, uh, and he's not come back yet. Uh, Han gets wind of this. Um, he's going to uh, have to ride out uh, into the dark night to uh, go try to find Luke, because uh, this is the ordinary world here for our hero. Um, and In my analysis, it is uh, Luke Skywalker. Um, I tried really hard to get it to be R2-D2 again, but I couldn't find enough links. Um, I do think 
think, Cassia, that you could make the argument that Han Solo is the hero of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I definitely think he takes enough of a character journey uh, to get there. Um, You could probably make the case for Princess Leia uh, as well. Although she doesn't do quite as much, I don't think, as as Han Solo here in this film. Uh, But yeah, Han Solo is a a vital character, especially here at the beginning, because he's basically going to go out and uh, rescue Luke, who's been attacked by a wampa, uh, has had to uh, rely on his lightsaber to get out of there. Um, You know, just just Luke, just living his living his life, doing Rebel Alliance stuff, and getting bailed out by Han Solo. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that you chose Luke because, like, watching this, I'm like, you could even make the argument that Vader went on a hero's journey here. Han and Leia, definitely Han goes through a big character journey, but I'm like, I'm just gonna be boring and vanilla and go with Luke Skywalker. <laughs> so, because I'm like, it's a little bit easier. Uh. So, that's what I did. Uh, but you're always welcome to conduct your own hero's journey analysis on whichever character you want to. Uh, I wrote down two lines that I thought were funny. I'm like, Han and Luke are bros, even with the quote-unquote love triangle. And... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm glad they're bros, because, yeah. And then also, hell exists in Star Wars, smiley face, you know, because uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Han is like, I'll see you in hell. So, um... He could have said, I'll see you in Mustafar. That would have been good. That would have been funny. Um, but yeah, Luke's just, like, frozen to the ceiling. Um, it's kind of like Flash Gordon-y, but he takes out the Wampa with uh, his lightsaber that he kind of learned how to reach out and pull it towards him and he escapes the cave but the bad news is he has no tauntaun because it was eaten uh he's weak cold and hypoglycemic so what's gonna happen ben appears alec guinness (laughs) appears and he tells uh luke that he must go to dagobah and uh meet yoda the jedi master who instructed him that's right yeah absolutely he's he's gonna have some sort of fever dream as he's walking around out in the snow freezing half to death uh, i said that tauntauns are my favorite uh, creature here um in all of star wars and yeah they meet grizzly fates right so uh the the wampa eats one that's bad news uh the other one gets cut open by han solo and stuff luke inside of there um as they come to rescue him um but yeah, that's that's kind of my my ordinary world. The heroes seen in their everyday life is is kind of just up to that section. And then for me, the call to adventure, the initiating incident of the story is that vision of Obi Wan who says, "Luke, you must go to Dagobah," and you know, kind of kind of propels him on you know kind of his his journey throughout the film. Um, also, on a side note, to Obi Wan, that seems like something you could have told Luke at any time. You didn't have to wait until he was dying in the frozen tundra. You could have told him like back in like the warm safety of the rebel base i don't know maybe like ben's like but he has to really earn it from a character perspective um (laughs) i don't know so yeah the the ordinary world i kind of saw that as the opening crawl and luke and han patrolling on hoth and uh the ordinary world uh is the hero is seen in their everyday life like being rebels uh is is what our heroes do and then the call to adventure is the initiating incident of the story, and uh, I, I'm on the same page as you. Uh, the call to adventure is Luke sees Ben as a force ghost who tells him to go to Yoda on Dagobah. 
but yeah, so he tells him, you know, gotta, gotta get to Dagobah, you know, go find Yoda, he'll teach you the ways of being a Jedi, uh, he knew your dad too, um, he'll, he'll get you, he'll get you going on this thing, right, take your lightsaber, don't forget that, you'll need that for school, um, and head on your way, but bad news, uh, the Empire is there, they've, uh, basically created some sort of, like, blockade of the rebel base, uh, so the rebels are trapped, they're pinned down, uh, they're sending in these gigantic walkers, and, and you're going to get a really, really awesome, uh, kind of, uh, visually stunning uh, fight here on the Hoth Snow. Um, and apparently at the time, this was very revolutionary in terms of like movie making and uh, using like stop motion and stuff. Because normally when you do stop motion, uh, you do it in space or at night or things like that, because then you could hide the wires and stuff because yeah. the background was all black or dark blue or whatever. Uh, but here they're doing it in the snow. So there's no place to hide um, any sort of any sort of wires or uh, like rigs or anything. So it looks incredible. Um, and I always remember this as a kid as being like, my favorite part of the empire strikes back was his first kind of snow battle section on hoth yeah uh, you can't hide wires in white and it it is revolutionary how they filmed it um uh i did write down this in my notes like luke and han are they in the tauntaun together <laughs> I don't well, well he puts he puts Luke in there and then Han starts building like a little kind of like uh igloo uh kind of thing over top of it there with the, with the snow. So I don't I don't know. I I guess probably. I mean it would have gotten real cold there while you're waiting for that snow speeder to show up the next morning. So uh maybe maybe you have to have to crawl in there um at night okay. or at least you you cuddle up, I guess maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Um I mean we can debate about this, but I wrote down in my notes like Luke and Han are in a tauntaun together but five feet apart. But yeah, like before the before the uh Empire attacks, like I also wrote down like Leia kisses Luke, like thanks Obi Wan. Like it's like mm, it has to mm-hmm, be a mm-hmm. secret because reasons <laughs> and it's yeah. like they don't know they're related. They're working together. Like, I think, like, they don't know they're related. Like, Obi-Wan could have just been like, oh, and also, before you go to Dagobah, do not kiss your <laughs> sister, who is Leia, but... Do not. Uh, don't kiss her. That would be bad. Uh, thanks for nothing. Um, now I'm wondering, uh, you actually, I don't think, see see him. C-3PO is in the room, but I don't know if R2-D2 is in the room, because R2 also could have said something and been like, uh, uh, hold on. Or he could have, like, like, zapped him with his little, like, zapper. That would have been good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is interesting, because, like, Vader is going to appear on Hoth, and we kind of see, like, uh, Vader's ship like shadows and eclipses a star destroyer. We just see how massive it is, and um, mm-hmm. it's a good way of showing scale, you know. Um, and then we see him in his black armor and in his like little man cave fortress uh, egg thing protecting his head, and kind of like Hoth kind of represents, um, I guess, like. Kind of like in the original trilogy, you see like the different biomes of um, World War II. Like in mm-hmm. the first one, you kind of see like the desert, kind of like um, parts of Northern Africa, you know, uh, that kind of fighting, you know, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. uh, in two, Empire Strikes Back, you kind of see like what would be like Russia or like Scandinavian fighting. And then, like, we'll see, like, in uh, 6 is, like, kind of fighting in the forests of Europe. So that's a cool detail that, like, um, in Rogue One, we kind of see, like, what 
kind of evokes the Pacific theater. So that mm-hmm. was something cool that uh, I I kind of uh, fan pointed out. So yeah, absolutely. And if you watch any of the behind the scenes, it kind of goes through like the actual like filming of the section on Hoth. You know, is done in Norway um, and stuff, and kind of all the all the troubles they had there and dealing with the snow um, and stuff like that, and how much effort it would have taken to get you know that particular biome for for that but yeah it's a it's a really very stark kind of introduction uh to this film and it's very very black and white kind of um in a sense which i think is kind of a neat bookend then for the the tail end of of the film you know when you get to the kind of the big you know reveal um that i guess you know at the time they didn't really know if it was a reveal or if it was like a bait and switch kind of a thing but i think that that's that's neat kind of kind of parallel and uh mere opposites there where you're in the you know the very white uh scenes of hoth and the very like black scenes of you know the fight with darth vader and uh the duel there on bespin and uh falling down there uh pretty neat yeah so the rebels end up losing on hoth but uh you kind of see like throughout the battle like the rebels win by th- uh, thinking outside of the box, like kind of tying up the adats or ATATs, however you, you want that pronounced, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And like Luke chucks a grenade up there, so it's like they're kind of like the Empire thinks they have all this might, you know, like they produce the cooler machine, but like uh, the rebels are kind of like uh, using guerrilla warfare, you know, and. Uh, the rebels end up putting out the evacuation code, you know, because the shield generator, because the shield generator is destroyed. So there's even some Naboo parallels there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the shield generator gets destroyed. Um, yeah, you know, obviously Naboo kind of pulled from that. Um, it's kind of similar to kind of the fight then on on Endor where they're uh, using kind of these more primitive techniques and uh, there's some sort of uh, protective shield they're trying to get down except uh, this time it's the Empire trying to trying to get it down and unfortunately they do but but yeah the uh, the launch or the the evacuation codes have been sent um, so the Rebel Alliance is able to escape Um, unfortunately uh, Han and Leia get separated from the rest of the Rebel Alliance as you know kind of one of these corridors caves in and uh, they end up having to go and uh, get out of there on the Millennium Falcon uh, which is good, I guess, in a way, because it keeps, you know, the team together. You got Chewbacca, you got C-3PO, and you got uh, Han and Leia there headed to the Millennium Falcon. It's my favorite quote in all of Star Wars when uh, he's trying to get it started up, and uh, he asks, or Leia asks if it would help if she got out and pushed, uh, which I think is uh, is pretty fun. But eventually they do get out of there just in time to see Darth Vader kind of walking through the doorway and are able to get up and out and pass the blockade. And uh, Luke, you know, is done fighting and his snowspeeder out there trying to take down the the walkers you know to buy some time and uh he gets into his x-wing and says uh r2 no we're not going with the rebel alliance we have a bit of a detour to make we are headed to dagobah yeah so for refusal of the call which is the hero experiences some hesitation to answer the call i put luke is injured and the empire attacks the rebels on hoth so it kind of delays them uh, we do see Luke. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to go with the Rebels. I'm going to go to Dagobah and I'm going to fly it on manual. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's right. It's going to fly it uh, manually all the way to uh, Dagobah there. Um, and yeah, refusal of the call. I had kind of the same section here, although mine kind of carries over into Dagobah just just a little bit. But um, yeah, you got the Imperial Walkers there, the blockade, uh, which apparently the X-Wings are immune from the blockade because they just get to <laughs> take off and leave, which is good. Um, and then, you know, he gets to uh, Dagobah, um, he crashes the ship, it gets stuck in the swamp. That's that's not very great. It's not really a refusal, but it's it's not a good look if you're if you're the best pilot in the Rebel Alliance that you crash into the swamp. That's bad. Um, then you run into uh, this little little uh, green hermit guy. Um, he comes. He's stealing your dinner. Uh, he is you know joking around. He starts to beat up R two D two. By the way, Yoda probably knew that that was R2-D2, so he's beating him up for no reason. Uh, thanks a lot, Yoda. Um, and, like, even, like, Luke, um, you know, when they crash the X-Wing there on Dagobah, uh, says uh, to R2, um, he says, you said coming here was a bad idea, and I'm beginning to agree with you. So I think that, yeah, kind of obviously the, you know, the... the the blockade there to get off of Hoth to get to Dagobah in the first place, and then kind of the the initial introduction uh, to Dagobah, um, I see as kind of all like the refusal of the call, right? Like like he finally makes his way there and he gets there, and and he already feels like um, he's wasted his time and going. Yeah, Luke whines a lot. Uh, it's a fun character trait that I think a lot of fans forget about. It's interesting. Uh, that that's a good point about refusal of the call on Dagobah, like. If I were to do my analysis again, I would kind of add, like, uh, the Dagobah mishaps to that step. But it's kind of interesting because we got to see the magical flight kind of from uh, Joseph Campbell. He describes in The Hero with a Thousand Faces. We kind of see that with Han and Leia going through the asteroid field. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as soon as they get kind of through that blockade, they... Uh, come in i i really like the scene it's um one of my favorite scenes of the movie and a, a movie that has a lot of really really great scenes but he's, he's there kind of trying to hit the or to fix the the millennium falcon and <laughs> first off that toolbox falls in on top of him which is funny um yeah. but then he's like something hit us you know that wasn't a that wasn't a laser bolt so he he goes up and they're into the the asteroid field and they kind of kind of go in and it's i don't know like it's almost like like his boldness is like takes you know kind of princess leia to like take a step back and and reevaluate uh han solo there for for a minute which i think is kind of neat the score is really amazing i love the asteroid field uh chase you know the asteroid chase uh piece of music there from from john williams and they and they go in there before ultimately kind of settling down into the belly of this uh you know Beast. space worm uh thing kind of on the on the asteroid there but yeah it's a it's a really great great scene really great uh kind of character building if you decided that you wanted to do this as han solo as your uh hero and maybe you should have maybe we should have i don't know yeah we should have but we're like no we're gonna do luke skywalker the whiny vanilla person um but yeah it's funny because i I was kind of watching this, and I'm like, Empire Strikes Back is one of the most beloved movies ever. And I was like, this magic giant space worm, if it appeared in the prequels and sequels, you would never hear the end of it. But, like, people are like, no, it's it's cool because it happened <laughs> a long time ago, you know, so it's okay. Um, but it, I don't know. It's just interesting, you know, but... Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's just a it's just a big fun creature, and I I do like that they kind of land in it, you know, unknowingly, and then obviously they have to they have to go out to get the the Minox off of the off of the ship there, and then and fly out, and it, you know it's like a like the tunnel's collapsing, but no, it's because it's this big uh, space worm that they're they're caught up in the middle of. But yeah, I like the um, that sequence there, going through the asteroid field, and then then obviously you know once once they land, if you're doing some character building, uh, that's uh, when you get your first kind of uh, romantic interlude there. Uh, maybe maybe it's not uh, super romantic. Romantic, but it kind of is uh, before C-3PO uh, busted up and you get the first kind of uh, kiss there between uh, Han and Leia. So now Leia's uh, kissed her brother and Han Solo in the same movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm just glad that it didn't end up revealing like, oh, Han's also your brother too. Like, I would just be like, <laughs> I'm going to take a vow of celibacy like from here on out, you know, but. Um, That's right. That's yeah, right. It, is, it is interesting reevaluating uh, this film's like kiss scene and like some of like uh, other like films that Harrison Ford is coincidentally also in like Blade Runner like um, mm, I don't mm-hmm, think I would mm-hmm. write it like this way today because um, it's kind of like does Leia have anywhere to go and like uh, Han takes her hand she's like stop that he doesn't stop and then they kiss and like I guess maybe like we can reevaluate nostalgia. Like it could be written differently today, um, but it just is interesting to reevaluate things. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, the film now is what uh, forty three years old. So, yeah, yeah. for sure, there um, the differences. You know, kind of in, in storytelling and the way that that scene might have played out differently uh, today, for sure. But um, it does, you know cement kind of uh their affections uh towards one another uh there in that section which ultimately is going to you know carry on through the rest of of the saga that we're um that we're going to be getting uh here from these characters so you know it's it's pretty great kind of kind of in that sense and propelling the character of you know princess leia who she's going to become uh throughout the rest of the the series as well so um uh, let's see. We go back to back on back on Dagobah, right? Luke is there. That uh, he has made his way to uh, Yoda's hut. Yoda says that I'll take you to see Yoda. Um, you know, but first we gotta go stop by my place. We'll get a bite to eat because uh, I already ate your dinner back there uh, before I assaulted R two D two unreasonably. That's okay, uh. Yoda. I'm gonna let it. I'm gonna let it slide. I'm gonna let it slide. Um, and this is kind of where um, I get to my meeting of the mentor. So step four: the meeting of the mentor. The hero gains the supplies, knowledge, and confidence needed to commence the adventure. Um, so, so the meeting with the mentor here for me is really kind of brief, actually. Um, yeah. Because because Yoda, you know, kind of reveals himself to be Yoda, and, and you know, Luke freaks out, and he's like, "No, I'm I can I can do all those things. I'm not you know all these things that you're saying." Um, but basically, Yoda agrees to train Luke after he has a little bit of a sidebar with Obi Wan, right? Like, Force Spirit Obi Wan can uh, come in and uh, talk to Yoda, and he's like, "No, it'll be it'll be fine. Remember, I was you know I was all these things too uh, that you say." Um, but I liked I I kind of picked up there was a little bit of a, a parallel here from you know Qui Gon you know, passing, you know, Anakin on to Obi-Wan and now Obi-Wan's kind of passing uh, Luke on to Yoda. So I think it's uh, kind of the, kind of the same there, but um, that was really like all I, all I really had kind of for my meeting of the mentor. Um, Obviously it kind of bleeds over into, especially like the first section of, um, you know, Luke's training where, you know, Yoda's in the backpack and they're talking about the force and stuff. But I think that uh, kind of this little, this little sidebar conversation between, um, obi-wan and yoda that you know luke is privy to sitting there in the hut i think is kind of the kind of the big meeting of the mentor for me 
Yeah, for for my meeting with the mentor, I just wrote uh, Luke meets Yoda. Um, and Empire Strikes Back, like, I, ha I wrote down notes, like, it does kind of balance, like, three stories at once. You kind of have Vader, you have Han and Leia, and then you have Luke. Um, but what's interesting is, like, Luke says there's something familiar about this place. I kind of wonder if, like, Luke was supposed to have been there before as, like, an infant or a baby, but then it ended up changing, like, when the prequels were written. Um, mm -hmm. maybe he thinks Yoda's familiar because he was there when he was born, but I'm like, eh, that doesn't make as much sense, but, um, it is interesting that he said that, but, yeah, um, Yoda puts on a Muppet act, you know, um, <laughs> and yep. it's a, it's a test, I think, to see, like, does he have the whiny Skywalker gene, or is he like his mom? You know, and um, <laughs> he is whiny, you know. Um, and Yoda's like, why do you want to be a Jedi? And Luke says, because of my father. And then mm -hmm. Luke loses his patience. And then uh, Yoda's like, kind of loses that Muppet persona. And he says, I can't train him. And uh, Obi-Wan has to go to, to bat for Luke. Um but it is interesting, like, kind of like uh, near this scene, like, when Luke is meeting Yoda, kind of like the ultimate good uh, Jedi, most powerful Jedi out there. Like, we see Vader bow before uh, the hologram of the Emperor, and it's massive, you know, and um, mm -hmm. uh, he's like, uh, the Emperor says, like, Luke Skywalker is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. He could destroy us, but maybe we can turn him. Uh, and Vader's like, how can this be? So kind of when I saw that layer, I'm like, oh, it's like father and son, you know, good and bad. Uh, so there's like layers I'm, I'm starting to just kind of realize like now, like even though I've grown up with this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, every kind of little piece of, you know, Star Wars media that we get is going to change kind of the, the perspective that you have on, on things. But yeah, definitely, um, definitely a lot of layered, you know, kind of storytelling um, in there in that sense. Yeah, kind of this, you know, mishmash, you know, kind of the way that's edited of, you know, between between Luke and uh, Darth Vader and kind of the, you know, kind of making on on one hand, you know, kind of the kind of the same same decisions, but just, you know, kind of in the opposite direction. Uh, so, yeah, some stuff like that is uh, uh, pretty neat and uh, pretty neat storytelling, I think, here for our characters. Um, but yeah, as uh, yeah, meeting with the mentor. Yeah, just kind of that that first little section uh, there, which, you know, takes on a whole different meaning, you know, kind of after, you know, the the prequels and and things like that um it does make me wonder though you know if yoda's there like like watching like <laughs> luke crashes x-wing into the swamp if you know when the like the canopy opens up yoda's like please tell me it's leia please tell me it's leia please tell me it's leia and, <laughs> and it's like nope hi it's luke and then it's like oh you know um and then 
I'm just double checking uh, just because, okay, we have two more steps before the end of Act 1 just because we sometimes, like, get distracted talking about chromosomes and, like, Anakin's love, mm. you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. That's right. Love mastery. So, so. <laughs> Sometimes we're blinded by love and we miss our coffee break, but uh, hopefully we won't do that this time. Um, but we are about ready to cross the uh, the first threshold. Um, and for me, the the line of crossing the first threshold is, is literally just a line um, uh, from Luke that he just says, I can do it. I'm not afraid. And Yoda's like, you will be. <laughs> you will be but uh for me that's 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 luke basically being like nah i'm all in rah rah let's go yeah that's funny um uh so crossing the first threshold the hero commits wholeheartedly to the adventure like uh i wrote down crossing the first threshold luke tells yoda he's ready and then and and then i wrote he's not so it's kind of funny <laughs> that we're just on that uh similar wavelength so yeah. That's right. That's right. Now, in in fairness, uh, you know, when Anakin uh, came in to start his Jedi training, uh, Yoda's like, oh, you're afraid? That's bad. But now Luke's here and he's like, oh, you will be afraid. Yeah. <laughs> I will make you afraid. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, Yoda spent too much time out in the uh, out in the swamps by himself. He's, uh, he's turned over a new leaf there, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's crossing the first threshold uh, for me uh, because Luke does not really see a threshold. He's just all in it. He is in it to win it. Yeah. Um, so that's the end of Act 1. And uh, I guess... Um... We have our coffee slash caffeine break. I, I made, uh, basically, I think I'm sort of maybe slightly majorly addicted to vanilla Coke Zero uh, with mm. coconut creamer. But uh, coconut creamer, it's on my side, not yours, so it can't hurt you. <laughs> that's right. It's on the uh, the other end of this uh, call that we're on. That's okay. That's okay. Um, no, that's, that's good. What, uh, what is your coconut creamer of choice? Um, I think it's like coffee mate, so oh, I'm not okay. mating it with coffee, but you know, I'm <laughs> mating it with the vanilla Coke Zero. Maybe there's a special brand out there for Coke mate or whatever, like Coca-Cola. If you're listening, there's a major demand from me for that, <laughs> so... That's right. There are, there are literally dozens of people out there uh, wanting some uh, coconut uh, creamer <laughs> in their in their Coke Zero. No, uh, there you go. That's good. That's good. I'm just having a a straight up just a black coffee. Um, I looked for my Empire Strikes Back mug. I was going to have it in that, but I couldn't find it. I think it's dirty. Um, so I'm just having it in just a regular plain blue mug, but that's okay. That's okay. It is hitting the spot and doing the trick. Um, and what we do when we're having our coffee slash caffeine break is we tell everyone what we've been up to. So Cassia, uh, what have you, what's been going on? You've been watching anything, reading anything, uh, doing any fun, like outdoor activities, enjoying the summer. What have you been up to? Um, I've been trying to, uh, walk a bit more, kind of get a little bit back into hiking. Um, I, I've watched a bit, like I have definitely partaken of the Barbenheimer, uh, zeitgeist moment mm -hmm. happening mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed both films uh, I saw Oppenheimer first and we did a Patreon episode on that and I just thought it was an intriguing look at uh, the Manhattan Project and kind of like the people behind it and 
It got me curious. I haven't read uh, American Prometheus yet, but it does have me intrigued. And I really enjoyed Barbie. Um, some people think it's a man-bashing film, but uh, I don't think you're supposed to see like Barbie land and the Barbies and Kens and be like, this is a one-for-one simulation for what real life is like, you know? Uh mm -hmm. Right. I think it's just a parable told through the characters of Barbies, and it was expertly directed and acted, and I think it should win an Oscar for uh, set design and uh, costuming. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, it was very good. I saw. I uh, also partook in the uh, the Barbenheimer uh, of it all uh too so yeah definitely definitely agree with those and yeah check out the the patreon if you want to uh look at oppenheimer it's uh, patreon.com slash old republic podcast yeah and i recently rewatched uh the hidden fortress because uh we discussed that in an upcoming episode uh with al from our last of us episode and it's just a really good akira kurosawa film and uh it inspired star wars and I finally got a physical copy of it from Criterion during the July sale this year, so I was excited mm. about that. Um, and then a book I was excited about, uh, I just kind of finished, is called The Future is Analog, How to Create a More Human World by David Sachs. Um, and it's not too often that I read a book, like a nonfiction book about current events that makes me feel hopeful, but this book did. Um, hmm. And I have to admit, like, uh, when the author discussed the pandemic years, like, I don't know exactly what happened, but uh, I did get some flashbacks of, like, how, like, horrible that time was for me but like it got mm -hmm. me interested in kind of like uh moving some things uh to be more analog or being more intentional about how i use uh digital things you know and my grandparents actually gave me some old um fountain pens um oh, and nice. i got ended up getting uh some lammy uh fountain pens as well and um my grandfather gave me a pocket watch that i'm gonna try to get up and running again and uh, they gave me their 1961 electric typewriter uh that they used in college and maybe i'll try to get that up and running like so that's what i've been curious about but uh before i like go on and on forever like uh what have you been watching reading or playing or listening to in your downtime uh, yeah, for sure. So I've um, I've been uh, watching uh, most of the same films as you, uh, Hidden Fortress, like you said, because we're uh, going to be covering that here on a on episode, either upcoming or in the past. Uh, <laughs> so check that out with Al. It was a really fun conversation. Um, it's a really good movie. Um, I just saw the uh, Ninja Turtle uh, Mutant Mayhem uh, a couple nights ago. That was That's awesome. Crazy. I I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. Um, the Ninja Turtles were uh, 
pretty much my jam growing up. I was right at that perfect age to uh, to be a Ninja Turtle kid, so it was really fun going back and see it. I like the I like the movie quite a bit. So uh, been out to the theater to see that stuff. Um, I've been watching the uh, the World Cup, the uh, the Women's World Cup, um, as much as I can. Uh, the time zone is killing me though because uh, it's being played in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so those are those are either real late nights or real early mornings, depending on on how you want to do it. You know, here in the here in the U.S. at least. So I've been trying to watch as much of that as I as I can watching you know some stuff that kind of later on after the games have been played and stuff like that and uh it's very likely that the women's world cup will be over by the time you're listening to this but uh but that's okay congratulations to all the participants and the winner uh there no doubt um but what i've been doing mostly is i've been uh heading out to see concerts i've been to a lot of concerts uh so far so i went and saw blink 182 a couple weeks back and i saw uh jimmy world uh uh, just a couple nights ago, um, and mostly I went to see the opener, uh, Middle Kids. It's a, a newer band that I'm pretty high on, uh, also from Australia, just like the Women's World Cup, I guess. Um, and then, uh, as of recording, in like three days, I'm going to see Beyonce, so that's going to be a pretty epic, I believe. So, uh, looking forward to that. So, definitely getting my my concert season uh, going in full swing here. Um, other than that, I've been spending a lot of time outside because it's real hot. Um, but that's okay. Uh, it's cooled down a little bit here as we're going to be transitioning into some fall weather here, hopefully in the next uh, three or four weeks. And hopefully going to gonna get out and uh, start doing some more outdoor stuff. Uh, like I said, uh, getting back into some hiking and uh, stuff like that should be should be pretty fun. So that's kind of what I've been up to uh, here in my own personal life, aside from watching The Empire Strikes Back, of course. So Yeah, I'm so excited for you on uh, Drink the Movies to cover... Uh, Viva La Vida. It's a, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, I don't know, just like, that was a really good Coldplay album, and I'm very fond and nostalgic about it, so. That's right, yeah, absolutely, my, uh, the, uh, Drink the Movies, uh, depending on, depending on when you're listening to this, kind of transitioned away from movies to cover music here for, um, for at least a, a couple of, a couple of weeks, and then probably ongoing in some shape or another so we did our our first one just last week as of recording uh we talked about Joni mitchell's blue and then yeah doing coldplay uh viva la vida uh coming up here this this next week so i'm planning to to put that on tonight and uh get some pictures of it and stuff like that and get ready to record that episode here in a couple of days so all right uh shall we dive back into act two let's uh dive back into the swamps of dagobah and pick this back up into act two so, did, like, Luke train for, like, two days, or was it, like, two weeks? <laughs> Luke trained for, like, one hour and then left, basically. Uh, he he definitely didn't train as long as Ray did. Oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, he did not train for very long. He climbed up a vine with Yoda on his back. Um, and then he went into a tree cave, uh, freaked out, then he came out, he could not lift his X-Wing, and then he left. Yeah. Oh, it's... oh, no, he he lifted he lifted R2 off the ground and dropped him. Yeah, and R2's like I'm going <laughs> to maybe I should just leave uh, because I'm just getting disrespected. Um... I hate my life. I saved the whole galaxy like 100 times now. Yeah. It's kind of uh let me fast forward to the future. It is kind of annoying that like a lot of people who like were kind of involved in the original trilogy or like saying like Luke had all this training and I'm like the timeline's not exactly clear in Empire but like it was either like you could argue two hours two days or two weeks you know which is not a lot of time and Ray mm-hmm. like did get some training 
and sometimes you learn whether your teacher is cooperative or not, but, like, kind of the point of Star Wars is, like, the younger generation making mistakes, learning from them, and kind of becoming the new masters, you know. Um, so some people might complain that Ray didn't receive X enough training, but, like, you could... I mean, look at, like, Anakin. He trained, like, for, like, ten years plus, and, like, he became Darth Vader, so, like... Training mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. kind of overrated. It's more what you learn, and Yoda does impart wisdom, you know, uh, as we see in Return of the Jedi. Okay, anyways. Okay, soapbox <laughs> moment. Over. So, so soapbox. That was our uh, that was our test allies and enemies. But what about uh, what about here in Empire Strikes Back? Step six: test allies and enemies. The hero explores the special world, faces trials, and makes friends and enemies. Uh, so I had a, I had a couple here um, in terms of the tests, and I, I mentioned those both on a little tangent there. So obviously you have kind of the kind of the tree cave where he's going to go in and see that vision of Darth Vader with uh, you know himself kind of in that helmet, and then uh, he's got the the little lesson of you know lifting the rocks and uh, lifting you know r2 and that's when he starts to get like these visions or these feelings that you know han and leia are in trouble um and then obviously kind of this failed test and trying to to lift the x-wing up out of the swamp and then you know sees uh yoda do it so that's kind of what i see the the tests um you know for luke specifically i don't see um you know any real like allies or enemies kind of in this section it's all happening off screen um but we're making kind of an ally you know definitely a shapeshifter uh, kind of character in uh, lando uh calrissian's happening kind of along you know side this and this parallel story that we're that we're getting over there and then also you know kind of kind of introduced here to boba fett um and uh you know what darth vader's uh cooking up there on bespin for you know both han and leia and kind of setting that trap so i think that the the allies and enemies stuff is happening to luke um but it's just not happening to luke on dagobah yeah for step six i kind of saw it in the story as a whole um kind of like we meet new characters or kind of like learn more about them we get to know yoda more we learn a little bit more about obi-wan and darth vader uh and kind of the biggest empire is in the title or what I meant to say is the biggest enemy is in the title. It's the Empire, you know? Mm, and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wrote down two weeks of training, question mark, uh, and the Force and Philosophy. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, Luke runs, Yoda is his backpack, which is, like, one of the most, like, iconic pieces of Star Wars merchandise ever, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yep. It is interesting because Yoda tells him about the light and the dark side, and... I kind of don't know if this is, like, healthy teaching, uh, but he's kind of like, what about Luke's, like, what about the dark side? And, like, Yoda's like, no questions, and kind of says, no more will I teach you today. So at least maybe, like, maybe it's been two days on Dagobah, I don't know. Uh, But I guess for step seven, approach to the innermost cave, which is, uh, Vogler says... Um, the hero nears the center of the story and the special world. Maybe I was too literal here, but mm-hmm. I put the dark side cave, uh, failed tests and visions of his friends in pain. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when I when I sat down to watch this, you know, last night for the for the purpose of, you know, kind of coming up with this outline, um, you know, obviously I was thinking, you know, kind of just immediately I'm like, oh, okay, the approach to the inmost cave is is literally this uh, this cave that he's going into on Dagobah, right? This uh, kind of this vision uh, cave sort of thing with the dark side uh, energy. Um, but as I was watching it, like I didn't really see that being the case as much because it's happening kind of almost in the in the middle of this you know test allies and enemies section for me so um for me i had the approach to the innermost cave is um uh luke actually getting to bespin and confronting those visions and feelings uh, that he had for for fear of losing his friends and i kind of i kind of saw that then um almost in in a physical uh, manifestation as like the carbon freezing chamber is like literally this hole in the ground um kind of that platform is all lit and red which i think is meant to kind of symbolize uh luke's like descent um into darkness and into into hell here in this section of you know this darker second chapter of the of the original trilogy but oh. but yeah when i when i sat down to come up with my thing i'm like yeah obviously it's it's the you know that it's the cave on dagobah is the innermost cave um but as as I watched it and I was kind of thinking about it, I was like, I don't I don't know that that is. I think that's more of a more of a failed test than it is, you know, kind of the innermost cave of the special world. And I think for Luke, the special world is is being a Jedi, and that's why he leaves is to go prove his uh, Jedi ness, I guess. Yeah, I kind of think you had the strength to do what needed to be done and I'm like, oh, it's a cave, so it's it's the cave step. <laughs> it's literally a cave. But yeah, uh, I like what you said about the carbonite freezing chamber uh, maybe being the cave and like it kind of descends into the ground and oh my goodness the parallels with Dante's Inferno uh, because mm-hmm. like in Dante's Inferno like hell is like uh, just a massive ho- hole with a lot of levels and the deepest level of hell is frozen so mm-hmm. uh Maybe someone yeah. could talk to George Lucas one day, and it's like, does this mean this and this? And were you inspired by Dante's Inferno? And it's like, no, I just wrote it, you know, <laughs> and it means nothing. <laughs> it's like he's like, ask ask Lawrence Kasdan uh, what it what it means. Um, yeah, because yeah, I mean, and and literally too, because you know Han Solo is placed into this pit, so he's following um, his friend, which is what his kind of you know ambition and going. Uh, to this new special place Bespin is to you know to follow you know Han and and Leia and you know Han has been down into that pit and then during the fight you know Luke falls into that pit or um, you know kind of in in the course of the fight you know stumbles into that pit before you know he has to kind of kind of jump out and you know carry on with the with the story but yeah that's that's kind of what I saw is the approach to the innermost cave there yeah I guess I saw the special world as like learning more about the philosophy of the force like the good and the bad because obi-wan kind of just told luke about the force but in this episode it gets a whole lot more philosophical and kind of like a little bit even like i guess you could say like religious you know and like mm-hmm. it, it's kind of all about family you know uh but I think this is kind of like maybe the most um, iconic, like, innermost cave scene in maybe pop culture and maybe just culture, you know? Um, and it's like something we've talked about in our mental health episode. Like, it's been talked about by creators, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And it's like, 
Luke is like, what's in this cave? I feel cold, and Yoda says, only what you take with you. You won't need weapons, but I just have to say there's an iguana, a boa constrictor, and I think a Komodo <laughs> dragon in that cave, so I'm like, I'm going to take weapons. <laughs> I will take all my weapons, please. Yeah, yeah, same. Same for me. I mean, just kind of see, like, it's slow. We see Vader approach, but it kind of blew my mind. Like, Luke ignites his saber first, you know? Mm-hmm. And then... They fight a little bit, and then there's just a straight-up decapitation, and then the mask is just there, and it explodes, and Luke sees his face. Like, I think there's so much there that maybe it hits people different at different points in their life, and, like, I think the lessons you can take from that are valid, and... I think the only thing that I can really think of that comes close is the ending of Across the Spider-Verse where Miles is face-to-face with the Prowler and then he sees who's underneath the mask, you know? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it, it definitely kind of interprets different, you know, kind of the way you're interpreting the story and, you know, the way that you interpret stories. Because I remember watching The Empire Strikes Back as a kid, um, you know, whenever I would have watched a five six years old something like that and um the cave section you know it was always just kind of like this this weird thing you went in there and he cuts darth vader's uh mask off and then you know the the face like explodes off and it's his face inside and i'm just like oh okay that's weird (laughs) you know but now you know as as you get older and you kind of understand the you know kind of the the visual um you know kind of storytelling aspects of it and really then i guess it's kind of placed on on what you think luke's emotions would be you know kind of in that point and then you know the way you think about that has changed then now with you know the the prequels the sequels the you know all the you know kind of you know the perimeter of storytelling through you know books and tv shows and stuff so it everything you get you know kind of changes the perspective on it a, a little bit too so then we kind of jump to vader again and he has like all these bounty hunters and I kind of wonder, were the bounty hunters always there, just kind of staying on the ship? Or they went through the asteroid field? I don't know if it matters, but that's just a thought I had. And mm-hmm. we kind of see Han doing what he does best, maybe showing off a bit and things work out. Like, he hides in plain sight on the ship and kind of, like, exits with the um, garbage, but... Uh, Boba Fett is like, I've done this before with uh, my dad in the Geonosis, you know, asteroid field. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he kind of saw through it and is able to follow him to uh, Cloud City uh, or Bespin, you know. Um, And then it kind of goes back to uh, Luke and he tries lifting stones and then the X-Wing sinks uh and then it's it's kind of like almost like Yoda's trying to say like you need to shift your perspective like enlarge your paradigm like have an open mind and then mm-hmm. there's that iconic quote like luminous beings are we not this crude matter uh and Luke says like it's impossible and goes off to whine some more and then like Yoda's theme kicks in, and it's, like, one of the best uh, songs in Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, 
yeah, it's one of the best scenes in, in all of Star Wars is that X-Wing comes up out of the out of the swamp. And yeah, it's it's in part to teach uh, Luke a lesson. Right. Obviously, is that you can't, you know, you know, that's you. That's why you failed. Right. Because you didn't believe that you could do it. Um, and that's that's a really great message um, on the on the flip side of that. You know, if Yoda didn't really want Luke to leave, he could have just left the, the X-Wing in the swamp. But I guess that wouldn't have taught the taught the lesson and then you know left luke with the the choice to make uh there in the end but but yeah that's um the the great visual of that coming up out and it's all swampy and has <laughs> like seaweed and stuff like all over it it looks um it looks really cool as it's it's coming up and out of there um for sure and then yeah han and leia get to get to cloud city and we're introduced then to lando calrissian billy d williams uh playing him there uh potentially uh, an ally an old friend of uh han solo's but uh it's pretty uh pretty ambiguous on whether lando is a good guy or a bad guy definitely um like i said is uh taking kind of this shapeshifter role here as you think um you know lando has betrayed uh our crew here um but you know ultimately was you know just trying to do his best under the circumstances that he found himself in to you know keep as many of them safe as he could I guess we've done this a lot, or we just know each other pretty well. I wrote down Lando Shapeshifter. Uh, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is interesting, like, I don't know what the intention was meant to be with Leia if Luke was going to have another sister, possibly, because, like, it's kind of like Leia can feel something is off with Lando, and then, like, later on in the movie we'll end up hearing Luke. Like, So I'm like, okay, were they trying to, like, be, like, she has a force, you know, or just she's very perceptive. Like, I think it was mm-hmm. the force, but it is just interesting. And um, we kind of see the setup on Cloud City. Like, C-3PO is blasted. We don't know who, who done it, you know. Uh, but we'll we'll find out later, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But we kind of, like, see... Luke seeing his friends in pain, which definitely mirrors, like, Anakin seeing his mother in pain. Um, so for the ordeal, which, uh, is the hero faces the greatest challenge yet and experiences death and rebirth, um, I put Luke leaves Dagobah and falls into Vader's trap, and, uh, Vader reveals to Luke that he is his father, so... Kind of made a massive leap there, but we'll get there. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I had the the same here for my ordeal. So, um, obviously you have uh, Han and Leia, you know Chewbacca there, and Bespin. They're being held held prisoner. Uh, they get to go to a dinner uh, with the Darth Vader. Uh, that would be nice. Probably was a pretty good spread there. They could have done that. You know, Han tries to tries to shoot him, and he stops it with his hand. So, uh, that pretty much tells you right there, Han Solo to quit quit mucking about. Um, I really love. Um, I don't know about the scene where uh, Han kind of goes in and they uh, they put him down on that little like spark thing, um, uh. you know, where they're where they're torturing him. But then he gets back into, um, you know, and Leia kind of kind of holds him there on the floor, and he's like, they didn't even ask me any questions because it's just trying to, you know, inflict 
you know paying on these on these people to lure luke to him which obviously you know ultimately works because yeah we get to the ordeal here um and same thing so luke gets to bespin uh he's facing off against uh darth vader uh he's realizing that he is completely unprepared for this encounter uh has no chance at all gets his hand cut off uh gets told that darth vader is his dad finds out that his mentors have been lying to him this whole time and mm -hmm. he uh plummets down into the depths of uh cloud city um you know, uh, very much uh, symbolic uh, death as he just you know lets lets go. He's like, no, instead of instead of going with you, I'm just going to end it right here. I'll just fall into the depths. But luckily, uh, falls into a bit of a slide and and lives to tell another tale. But yeah, definitely the ordeal for me is Luke Skywalker uh, versus uh, Darth Vader. Yeah, um, just catching up to you. Uh, some of the notes. I'm like carbonite freezing chamber. From what I can. From what has been revealed, like, in the behind the scenes, like, that set was miserable and hot, but it looks cool, um, and <laughs> it, it was- I bet it was hot. I bet it was hot. There were, like, 5,000 red light bulbs on it. Yeah. Um, and I would have hate hated to have been Chewie's actor, because you have to wear that, and then it's, like, super hot, like, he'd probably faint a lot, you know? Um, mm hmm uh, and then Ford was kind of like, I don't know if I want to come back for six. So they're like, um, Schrodinger's Han, you know, you get carbonite, you know, and, um, that Luke versus Vader, it's kind of like the iconic red versus blue. It's kind of like Theseus, like, uh, kind of like pushing the rock that like his father, like hid, uh, his sandals and his weapon and you know and it's kind of like Odysseus and Telemachus meeting like father and son you know and it's like I don't really think Vader's trying to win he's just trying to see like how powerful Luke is um mm -hmm. and I was kind of just reminded how scary Vader was like it's kind of like Luke is like a mouse and like Vader's like a cat who's kind of like hiding and like just like moving all of these things out of wall sockets, you know, after him. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of see them fighting in that uh, area. It's kind of like a fencing piece, you know? It's like either of them can fall. Uh, either of them could fall. And then we see Luke's hand get dismembered, and there's that iconic, uh, you killed my father, and it's like, no, I am your father. And Luke just says, no, no, that's not true. That's impossible. No, no. <laughs> and Mark Hamill yep. just nails it, you know. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when Luke jumps, I was kind of like, is this meant to be like a suicide? You know, like he'd rather die than like join Vader. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, he's like. Maybe I'll live, maybe I'll die, but that's better than being trapped here. And luckily he gets yeah. sucked into a garbage tunnel. So um, I'm just flipping through my notes. There are many. Um, <laughs> yeah, while you're, while you're flipping, I wanted to make mention, you said something about uh, how Darth Vader was so intimidating in this. Um, and through the whole film, Darth Vader is very intimidating. I think um, you get kind of that scene on Hoth where he's walking through the kind of the corridors there of Hoth and he looks, you know, like, 
I don't know, like four feet taller than everyone else. And he's just like so imposing and just like, you know, kind of like a, you know, just a Darth Vader, like, like on a mission, like going to get, uh, you know, Han and Leia there. And then obviously in, in this where he's just so completely, you know, dominant over over luke trying to fight him like he doesn't even doesn't even have to he's basically just trying to you know beat him down into submission so he can you know ultimately reveal that you know i'm your dad you should you should come with me and stop listening to yoda and obi-wan because they're fools yeah um so i found the page like some of the pages were just uh kind of like turning together so reward the hero experiences the consequences of surviving death and i'm like oh that's actually kind of like what literally happens is like Luke jumps and survives and it's like okay he's kind of down one hand and hanging on the bottom of Cloud City <laughs> yeah, but true. before we can find out what happens I think uh, you know Luke just like kind of takes his pocket flask of blue milk and has a little bevy break <laughs> he does have a bevy break I would be I would be tired for sure um, after you know flying all the way to Best Bend just to get like pounded on by I don't know <laughs> crates and stuff that your dad's throwing at you thanks a lot dad but uh yeah absolutely let's uh let's take a quick beverage break um for sure because because I could use some refreshment after our, our many many hours of training on Dagobah yeah okay Brian so so what are you imbibing yeah, absolutely. So Empire Strikes Back has uh, a lot of really good um, cocktails. So I was looking looking for something uh, pretty good. And if you go to Oga's at Galaxy's Edge, they actually have um, on their cocktail menu, like three, three of the cocktails are uh, kind of centered around the Empire Strikes Back, which is pretty cool. So they have like the Vespin Fizz. They have the Fuzzy Tauntaun, which is my favorite. Um, they have the Dagobah Slug Slinger. So that's pretty cool if you're ever there. The Empire Strikes Back uh, lives pretty large there on the Yoga's cocktail menu. Um, but I'm actually making um, the uh, Bespin Cloud, uh, which is a drink that we'd actually made on uh, Drink the Movies for um, the Empire Strikes Back when we covered it like a year and a half ago. Um, but it's really good. It is really pretty. Um, it looks like something very fancy that maybe Lando would have while he's, you know, walking around in his cool cape, uh, for sure. So, uh, you're going to put this into your shaker tin. It's going to be two ounces of gin, one ounce of blue curacao, which is very crystal blue, uh, colored, uh, but it tastes like orange. Uh, very delicious. Uh, one ounce of lemon juice and an egg white, put that into a shaker and shake it up then put some ice in and shake it again and then strain it into your glass and it gets this nice little cloud layer there that's what the egg white does it makes it all uh, nice and like uh, foam layer on top and then the drink itself is crystal clear blue it's real pretty and it's just kind of this mm -hmm. this orangish uh, martini uh, thing it's really delicious really really good um, I like this one I'm gonna go to Cloud City and hang out with Lobot have one or two of these and I'll be good mm -hmm. to go that's what they're serving at the dinner I think uh, with Darth Vader there before, you know, Han just started to <laughs> start shooting at his girlfriend's dad. But, you know, that's what happens. It happens. Um, so <laughs> what about you? What what do you have uh, cooking up there for the bevy break? I guess a mocktail. Um, okay. So I ended up getting the Girardelli premium frappe mix frozen hot cocoa. No coffee added. Um, mm. So the instructions for this, if you want to make the 8-ounce uh, version uh, bevy, it's uh, one-fourth cup frappe mix, and then two to three fluid ounces of liquid of choice. 
Um, you can do like water, milk, chilled coffee, fruit juice. I kind of don't know why you do fruit juice, but if it floats your boat, mm. okay. I did milk, yep. um, and then free force cup of ice and a tablespoon of uh, barista mini chips, which is optional. I didn't have that, but you kind of mix it together and you can even top it with whipped cream, but I'm just having it, you know, basic with no barista mini chips or whipped cream, but there's other fla flavors, I think, like uh, classic white chocolate, white mocha, mocha, uh, but I'm someone who mm -hmm. loves hot chocolate, especially Ghirardelli, and um, because it's summer, I was like, ooh, a frappe would be nice, and like, because I'm like, Hoth is cold, you know? <laughs> uh, so I'm like, yep. let's do something cold. I like hot chocolate. And then I stumbled upon this, so. That's right. I, uh, I bet, uh, Leia was probably having some hot chocolate on Hoth. You know, hopefully she didn't spill it because she was wearing that white vest. So that would be that would not be good. The dry cleaning would be would be tough there on Hoth, probably getting done. But uh, I do love the sound of this uh, chocolatey uh, concoction. That sounds really good. I, I also really like a hot chocolate. Um, not right now; it's too hot here. Um, but yeah, you turn me on to like a hazelnut hot chocolate. That's delicious. Yeah. I love hazelnut. Um, so, so yeah, so so make up this uh, this chocolatey mocktail and uh, throw in you know kind of kind of whatever you want, mix it up. Yeah, and I mean you mentioned Leia on Hoth. Like, do you know what would have been awesome is if like Goth Leia existed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> goth Goth Leia is Hoth Leia. That's right. Yeah, that would have been good. That would have been good. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe season two of Kenobi will be like, and then she kind of went through a phase when she was a teenager. But um. that's right. Yeah, well, yeah. Little little Leia starts listening to some uh, emo music. Uh, goes gets to some hot topic. Doc, gets you know? goes to hot topic. Gets some Doc Martens. Yeah, all those things. <laughs> um. Yeah. This is this is why you listen to us because we're so smart and intelligent and. Uh, all that but um that, that's okay right. that's what i assume that was a bevy break to end all bevy breaks but uh the road back the hero returns to the ordinary world or continues to an ultimate destination i put luke communicates with leia and is rescued by the falcon but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. while he's able to open up his mind and communicate with leia um he's also opening himself up to talking with vader mm -hmm. yeah that's yeah that's a really good observation yeah um i didn't really uh put that up or pick that up um myself but i had kind of the same uh road back here as you know he calls out to leia and you know gets taken back aboard the falcon which is somewhere he's you know familiar with you know the millennium falcon being you know almost a home here to our characters in the original trilogy um and back to back to what you know these rebels do best right is running from the empire which is which is what they're doing and the other thing that they're best at is they're back to letting r2 be the hero because r2 fixes the hyperdrive um I really like, you know, kind of they, they let them go because they deactivated the hyperdrive. But, you know, uh, R2 uh, is going to go get that sorted. Um, they end up, you know, taking off into into uh, light speed and, and getting away there. But, yeah, I thought the, the road back, yeah, was uh, Luke getting back, back on board the uh, good old Millennium Falcon. 
And I'm kind of wondering, like, in this scene, like, if Lando is wearing Han's pants. Um, maybe I'll have to watch it again, but I'm like, um. Those are the official pilot of the Millennium Falcon pants. You I'm have like, to wear you had to, you had time to switch your pants and, like, Han may or may not be dead, but you're like, my priorities are like, I need to wear these pants, but okay. Oh. Um. I like to, now I like to think that Lando probably had, like, those, like, tearaway pants and he could just, like, rip them off. He was just ready to fly the Millennium Falcon any day, like, after he lost it to Han. Yeah. And that Sabacca, he's and he's, very he's just always wearing them. He was just always wearing those pants, like underneath of his whatever other pants he was wearing, so he'd be ready to go one day. Yeah, I'm just hoping <laughs> I my notes for Return of the Jedi are as funny as this, but maybe humor is <laughs> subjective. But I wrote down Leia got Luke settled in maternally slash Florence Nightingale e kisses Luke, and it's like. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> I guess in the prequel trilogy, we kind of had, like, Oedipal tones, you know? And then in this trilogy, it's, like, different tones, you know, uh, of, like, incest. Um, And I'm kind of just like, Mm -hmm, mm Obi-Wan could have stopped this at any time. R2 could have maybe stopped this at any time. Yoda could have stopped this at any time, but I'm kind of just like, oh, Nope, that's still still going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I had uh, the resurrection. The hero experiences the final moment of death and rebirth, so they are pure when they re-enter the ordinary world. Uh, yeah, I had uh, I had that there here for mine. Uh, you know, being cared for by Leia again. Basically, Luke gets onto the Millennium Falcon, and then Leia has to be like, "It's okay, Luke. It's okay." Um, every time that that happens, for sure. I Even lost in... Han, but like you lost your <laughs> Han. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're. I'm sorry that our dad cut your hand off, but uh, he tortured me and kept me in a prison cell. I wished I could have flung myself out into the void <laughs> like you. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Even even in uh, Return of the Jedi, we're getting way off track here, but she, Luke's like, oh, I don't know, I'm endangering the mission. And, you know, she's got to be like, calm down, Luke. <laughs> Get your act together. Get your life together. Um, but I saw kind of the actual uh, moment of resurrection was uh, Luke getting his new hand. Um, I saw it as like he's literally being made whole again as that uh, that prosthetic hand gets put back on him. Yeah, for the resurrection, uh, the hero experiences a final moment of death and rebirth so they are pure when they re- re-enter the ordinary world. I also put Luke gets a mechanical hand, but... It is interesting because I we kind of talked about how like Luke communicates with Vader as well mm-hmm. as Leia, but guess who's not communicating with him? We jokingly already said like, uh, Ben, why didn't you tell me? Like, and Alec Guinness like is like radio silent here, but um, yeah, uh, nice. Well, well, I mean, he he does tell him. He's like, if you leave, I can't help you. But I mean, it seems like after the fact, he could have chimed in, been like, "Yeah, see, I told you, I told you so." Yeah, mentors, man. Sometimes they're just mentors. Like, I have to do this so you're strong enough to to learn the lessons. But um, one nice detail I noticed is that Leia pulls the switch for light speed. Um, it is interesting because like Vader doesn't end up killing Piet. After killing many, uh, an imperial, like, admiral, officer, you know, Mm -hmm. even by Zoom. But I think it even shows, like, Vader is conflicted. Um, Because, like, Luke's not saying, like, oh my 
Lucas, you're my dad. Let's rule the galaxy, you know? Um, <laughs> right. It's kind of like, it makes me think about, like, Mustafar when, like, uh, Vader is obscuring Anakin and he's like, I can overthrow the Empire, overthrow the Empire via overthrowing the Emperor. Like, Padme, we mm-hmm. can rule the galaxy. And Padme rejects him, Luke rejects him, and I think, like, Vader is, like, kind of being, like, just reminded of all these different things he doesn't want to really be reminded about and sure yeah 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 and i think um it's interesting to think about um well you're just kind of kind of running through that there it got my mind going to think that you know on one hand obviously you know vader is a little preoccupied with just having this encounter with his son but i'm wondering if you know if he's if he's thinking forward now to the um you know the interaction that he's going to have with you know palpatine you know this Vader's probably looking at this as his one shot of, you know, kind of kind of getting his son like under his wing like safely, right? Like this was his one chance and like he blew it uh to get to get his, you know, son back, you know, even as, you know, Darth Vader obviously is on on the uh on the dark side, on the on the wrong side of things, but this was his shot to to get his son and now you know it's going to be turned over to the emperor to, you know, kind of decide what happens from here. So, um yeah, I think that that's kind of interesting to to think about that way. Yeah, we kind of learned that the rendezvous point was Tatooine, and it's one year later, Return of the Jedi will happen. Um, and that's kind of the same amount of time that we had um, between uh, The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess it took them a year to come up with the pl- plan to to save Han that we'll get into, but um, I guess um, my return with the elixir, which is the hero returns with something to improve the ordinary world, is Luke, Leia, Lando, Chewie, and the droids are together, and they will rescue Han on Tatooine. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. So return of the elixir. Um... Yeah, and that that's interesting to think that it's the one year because I think um or in the Empire Strikes Back here, kind of at the at the close of, of the film, you know, they're they're talking over the, the radio or whatever to to Lando. So Lando's already en route to Tatooine, so the, the plan's already taken effect. So I guess you could you could almost look at it that like the last like closing scene of um the Empire Strikes Back is a year after you know luke gets back onto the onto the uh, millennium falcon there um almost in a way i guess because the plan is already like en route uh kind of at the close of the film so that's kind of kind of interesting i guess but yeah i had kind of the same same thing that the plan to rescue han is in uh full swing uh he returns r2d2 to back back in action now he's done messing around on dagobah so r2 can get back to rule to saving the galaxy again that's good that's a that's a good elixir for for the galaxy um and apparently luke is now a full-fledged jedi went got his hand cut off but uh next time we see him he's going to be doing all sorts of jedi stuff so that's good i guess so maybe he's going back to dagobah to get some more training Uh, i don't know i don't know for sure um i do the the closing shot of empire strikes back is beautiful um you got leia and luke kind of in front of the window with the droids looking out over it and you know in the the context of the empire strikes back they're looking out and it's 
um, you know, it's it's very sad, right? They're looking out into this vast galaxy. Their their friend is gone. They've gotten this terrible news. Luke has had his hand cut off. But um, if you take a step back and look at it, like the Skywalker saga as a whole, then uh, you're seeing, you know, the twins stand there looking out over the galaxy. And that's a galaxy that they're um, going to be you know, reshaping at the end of the next film. So I think, um, you know, kind of in the in the scope of the Skywalker saga, that that image is is very striking in the history of the galaxy. Um, you know, if that's a that's a way you want to look at it. But but yeah, it's a it's a very striking shot. Yeah, I think it's probably maybe the most iconic ending shot in Star Wars. Maybe the throne, uh, is it a throne room in, um, the end of episode four, or like, they're getting medals or something? Oh, just, um, I think it's just out in, like, the courtyard of Yavin. I don't think it's a throne room. I think it's outside. Okay. Um. It's I, like a stage where they have ceremonies, you know, yeah. at, the, at the rebel base. And it's kind of <laughs> they inspired put <laughs> by the triumph of the wills, so I'm like, um... What's the explanation there, George Lucas? Um, so I'm going to say this is the most iconic ending shot in Star Wars Empire Strikes Back for that reason. Um, and yep. I, Leia, my friend, was pointing out when you're watching this, I kind of hijacked movie night. And I'm like, I want to take notes while we watch Empire Strikes Back. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but my friend pointed out, like, Leia's wearing the original dress at the end of this movie. Oh. Like, I, I thought yeah, that was yeah she is. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, that makes sense. Everyone, I guess, is kind of where they need to be, even though obviously this is the the darker middle tri- middle chapter, I guess, you know, at least Luke and Leia from that standpoint, R2 and C-3PO are back where they need to be. Um, so that's that's good. And yeah, it's a very, very striking shot. Uh, definitely. And uh, that's that's kind of where it ends. Right. And now, you know, people are going to have to deal with uh, three years of real world time before Return of the Jedi comes out to find out if, you know, Darth Vader is, in fact, uh, Luke's father. Uh, what that means exactly. How are they going to get Han back? Um, you know, all sorts of unresolved uh, questions. Um, you know, and that's uh, <laughs> we just got a cliffhanger, um, as you mentioned, right, with the uh, uh across the spider-verse uh here which took a lot of um inspiration from the empire strikes back and uh definitely definitely leaves you on a cliffhanger you don't know what's going to happen to your heroes yeah and this is i think the only original trilogy star wars movie i saw in theaters like on the big screen so (laughs) i saw this in 2020 uh for the 40th anniversary um and who boy covid was a time where like you just really didn't know what was happening like Mm -hmm. so many people are like oh it'll be over in a month or two oh we're having a surge like it, it was a period where there was just so much uncertain um like you alternate you could alternate between like hope and despair like so much and like just like that's the kind of headspace I had while I was watching this and like it's funny because like at the end of 2019 I made a goal to see more movies um Mm -hmm. and I ended up only seeing three movies in theaters that year uh 
it's funny because I saw Emma, um, which I think is a movie that kind of got overshadowed because it premiered and then COVID happened and then it's like, uh, it was like streaming. Like, so I think like, just like not a lot of people saw it. Like, and then I saw Tenet and it ruined my hearing probably forever. (laughs) And then I saw this movie and... Even during the midst of Corona, like, where I think even, like, just, like, the stress of the pandemic and the uncertainty, like, was kind of, like, interfering with, like, just, like, my normal cognitive mental health functions. Like, I was able to be, like, this is an amazing movie, you know? Mm -hmm. And I noticed details, like, Luke's outfit looks really dirty on Dagobah and Bespin and I think it's made out of wool so like he did not choose the best clothes for that environment and it's mm-hmm. just I don't sometimes films they shouldn't work but Empire Strikes Back did you know like I can't really put my finger on why it works but it does yeah, it, it does really work. Um, and if you, you go back to what I was saying kind of at the at the beginning, the kind of the critical response to it, and a lot of that was dealing with kind of the way that the, the film was structured. Um, and it was, it was probably very, very different then because you didn't have kind of this kind of like main, you know, through line. You had, you know, these three different kind of stories that were that were going on. And, you know, now we go and look at movies or watch TV shows, and that's pretty much the norm for the way stories are told. So um, I think that it's it's really kind of a credit to, um, you know, the people that put this together, you know, George Lucas, obviously, but uh, Lawrence Kasdan and um, um, Irving Kirshner, uh, you know, for putting it for putting it together and, you know, kind of being bold with the way that the the uh, story went. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a story that that maybe shouldn't work, especially in the under the lens of 1980, but it it works really well. Um, I can definitely appreciate when people say that this is you know the quote unquote best Star Wars film. Um, it's not my favorite Star Wars film, but uh, certainly from a just a movie standpoint, um, looking at films, um, it's hard to argue that you know it's it's not the best or you know one of the best of these nine films in terms of just being an actual movie. So, uh, Cassie, you mentioned that you saw this in, in 2020 on the big screen. I did not see it in 2020 on the big screen for, you know, the most of the reasons that, that you just mentioned. I did see it in 97 uh, for the uh, special editions when those came out. I made it out to see it at the movie theater um, then. Um, but, you know, I have a long history with this movie, and I would have seen it about the same time. I saw um, kind of all three of those films, right? A New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi is, you know, I don't know, somewhere in the in the four to six years old uh range kind of kind of thing on uh home video and um it was just a movie that was in you know constant rotation i was uh, speaking with my wife about it um this morning she asked me how many times i'd seen it and uh, i was like i don't know a lot of times and and she said 200 and i started thinking and i'm like yeah i might have maybe seen this like 200 times um just because it was i mean it was something we'd rent it and and watch them like i don't know like 20 25 times a year like through my whole childhood probably from from the time yeah i was like four to you know at least up into like high school when i'm driving around and going doing other stuff i guess but yeah it's 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 a great film um and it was really fun to go back and kind of kind of analyze it um i think it's interesting here we've done this is the fifth one of these that we've done now and this was the 
the absolute closest that we've been on our hero's journey steps. Yeah, so that was funny. Sometimes it it just happens, and maybe next time, like I'll be like Max Rebo's the real hero, and uh, that's right. We'll do we'll do Max Rebo and Wicket for for Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know which uh, which part of the original trilogy I've seen the most. Um. But I've definitely seen a lot of them a lot. Like, all the three, like... I kind of wonder if it was, like, uh, Return of the Jedi, because I like the love story, you know? I'm like, ooh, Leia saves Han, you know? Um, uh, And then I'm like, ooh, there's kissing in, like, Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) But, um, uh, yeah. Uh, It's interesting. It's something I've grown up with, and... uh, a lot of people have grown up with and um it has definitely percolated the culture like it's probably like the example like people can come up with like where it's like if you have a trilogy it's kind of like um the the second one's supposed to be the dark one you know or Mm-hmm. But like, kind of rewatching it, like I don't know if it's dark necessarily, even though there is dark moments. But it just like uh, analyzes things at a deeper and more philosophical level. Yeah, it's it's definitely deeper and more philosophical. I think kind of the kind of the darkness doesn't necessarily stem from you know the fact that it's that it's dark or the the content is dark. But um, you have your your heroes of the the story here, and they just can't buy a break in this film which is you know kind of where i see that coming from yeah and it just has like probably the best cliffhanger um and i kind of wonder like if time travel existed if i was given a second trip um they're like so what's on your list it's like do you want to save like any historical figures and i would just hide my list because like number one would be like see a new hope in theaters opening weekend and then number two would be like see empire strikes back in theaters opening weekend and i'm like yeah let's save some historical figures or witness some historical (laughs) moments like i my life doesn't revolve around star wars like um, (laughs) but that's right it just would be so interesting to kind of like analyze like what that three-year period was uh, in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, like, because some people, like, who do you think uh, Leia is going to end up with? And a lot of people are like, you know, Luke, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and yep. um, they're gonna they're gonna be shocked and <laughs> I hope not disappointed, but like just shocked and like, oh, okay, oh, um, okay, and did not see that coming. Yeah, so. Uh, just like and it's like is Luke like is Vader his father you know and like a lot of people are just like no he's lying you know um Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like when movie studios are trying to like make a trilogy I think like they kind of use that uh archetype uh the original trilogy you know uh even if they're not trying to i think they're responding to it you know and it's kind of the cultural expectation like even if you're watching something like 
the Amazing Spider-Man Two, like people were like, "Ooh, it's darker," you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all that. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you have to introduce some uh, new stakes for the uh, for your crew, right? I guess if you're uh, telling the the second chapter for sure. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, but that I do know that that is the the hero's journey analysis for The Empire Strikes Back. So. Um, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun to go through and do. I mean, it wasn't as fun as you know doing you know R two because he, you know, he really should have been the the subject of my my timeline. But yeah, I can't you can't deny that Luke is pretty important to the Empire Strikes Back. Um, but let us know if you have uh, an idea of who is the real uh, main uh, hero here in this story. Is it Luke? Is it Han? Is it someone else? Is it Darth Vader? Um, let us know what you think about that. You know, down in the comments and on Discord and all that. Uh, kind of stuff that's uh, always a lot of fun to talk about those and uh we've been having a lot of fun doing these uh hero's journey analysis yeah i'm excited to do uh return of the jedi but one question before we leave um what why is luke able to make uh healthier kind of more like light-sided choices than anakin do you think huh i don't know i mean i guess you could you could analyze and say that uh, luke had a healthier kind of upbringing um you know certainly anakin had um his mother shmi but they were you know separated when he was very young um you know luke got to live out his um entire days with his uh, aunt and uncle who seem like they uh, instilled a lot of good lessons uh into the young lad so i think that that is uh probably good um maybe um because anakin was just the the product of you know being this you know born of the force so to speak but you have uh luke and leia there who are embodying um you know kind of the best aspects of both of their parents so maybe luke has enough of his uh mother uh in him to uh steer him down the right side uh that anakin you know didn't didn't get uh from uh his uh parentage i guess maybe i don't know i don't know for sure yeah like, maybe it's a question to also ask uh, in Return of the Jedi, but kind of like after my movie night where my friends and I, we watched uh, Empire Strikes Back, um, they're kind of like saying, like, Luke was, lays- Luke was raised in a less traumatic environment, uh, Owen and Beru, even though we've made jokes about it, like, you know, in our Revenge of the Sith, like, episode, like... They, they loved mm-hmm. him, you know, like Palpatine wasn't there. Uh, Palpatine didn't really know about Luke, like, but Anakin just kind of like had Palpatine in his life since he was like from the end of like the Phantom Menace, you know, and um, Anakin was raised by his mom and then he had to leave her. You know, he Anakin was raised mm-hmm. as a slave, you know, and then kind of just as a Jedi. And you could make the argument that he was a slave to the Jedi, you know. Um, right. Maybe Luke had more choices, you know, but it almost seems a little bit reductionist. It's kind of like, oh, Luke had a happier home life, you know, so like maybe he's able to make better choices, you know. Uh, right. Yeah, I think that I think that's part of it. If you kind of kind of distill it down, but you know, <laughs> we're getting we're getting way off a uh, topic here now. But um, you know, Anakin had to deal with like the the worst of things, right? Uh, he was he was a slave. Uh, 
he was taken from his mother he uh was propelled into a war uh, and you know all this all this things you know happened over the course of this you know uh young man's life and then you know ultimately uh, went to the dark side uh for attempting to uh, you know love and protect someone so um yeah i think is the the cards were stacked against him and you know obviously you know had Palpatine identified Luke at the age of eight. Luke probably wouldn't have had the uh, same trajectory that he did. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I'd like to believe more in like Luke and Anakin's choices. Um, Anakin does make some bad choices, but I kind of hate to like just be reductionist and be like, oh, it was just how they were raised, you know, like. So maybe we'll have to reevaluate, you know, at the end of Return of the Jedi, but um, maybe, I, I don't know how long Empire Strikes Back, maybe this movie is longer than Empire Strikes Back, but uh, yeah, maybe uh, before we get uh, kicked out of, you know, um, the Oga's Cantina, we can say, may the force be with you. Public podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Old Republic Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at dennissmowersmusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>